0: It's good to be here this morning. I like to thank Carrie for the opportunity that he has given me to speak to you this morning. I appreciate Jason's prayer on my behalf. And it's my prayer also this morning that the things that I have to say to you will be thus saith the Lord, and that alone, and that my opinions and my thoughts and my think souls would be left out of it, and that you could say that you left here today, this morning, that you've been edified, and that hopefully you can be helped in your spiritual walk as you go here in the next days to come, go from this place. Uh, if you will, this morning, we're going to be taking our study or our thoughts from Judges chapter 7. I'm not going to read that, but I want you to have the verses. It's Judges chapter 7. We're going to uh, take taken from verses 1 through 8 and then 15 through 23. It's a story about a man by the name of Gideon. Now, most of us have heard these Bible stories as a child or these stories, and uh I'm that kind of guy. I'm a simple guy. I love the Old Testament and I love those stories and those things have always resonated with me and that's kind of always influenced my speaking. It's always been something that uh, I think there's merit to it and I think it's things that we can apply to our lives as we dig into those stories and, and uh, make application. I want to give a little background. Here it's in the time of Judges, obviously, God's people are led by judges, and at this point in time, the Midianites and the Amalekites have besieged Israel, they've taken over the country, and they are basically laying waste to Israel. Everything that Israel does when they plant their crops, they let the crops get up, and they're about ready to harvest, and the Midianites and the Amalekites will come in, the Bible tells us, and destroy their crops. They were destroying their homes, they were destroying everything in Israel. They were destroyed their houses in, in living situations so much that the Bible says they were living in caves just to have shelter because the Midianites were afflicting them so much. The Bible says the number of the host of the Midians was like grasshoppers or like, as I would say, a plague. Innumerable to count. They were everywhere. And they were doing what God intended for them to do, and that was afflict Israel because Israel had walked away from God. They were serving Baal, they were serving idols, and God had sent them, sent the Midianites and the Amalekites to teach them a lesson. And as many times we see that, they cried to God, and God heard their cry, and that's where Gideon steps into the, to our story this morning. He was just a normal guy. He wasn't anything special. He wasn't a high priest's son. He wasn't a man of stature's son. He was just a man of valor, God called him himself. When he spoke to him, he called him, he said, you're a man of valor. And he said, I want you to set my people free from the Midianites and the Amalekites. Now put yourself in that that, that role this morning. You're out doing your business. The Bible said he was out threshing wheat in a hidden place trying to hide it from the Midianites so they didn't take the food. And he's out there by himself, and God comes to you and says, Hey, you're the guy that I want to lead my people. And you're going to lead this great battle, and you're going to free my people. It's a pretty big responsibility that he laid on his shoulders. But he said, I want you to call the children of Israel together. I want you to call them together. And when he did, there were 32,000 men showed up to go to war. And as, God was, as the army was gathering together, and God, God told Gideon, he didn't whisper to him, sorry. God told Gideon, he said, the men are too many, lest they think that they have delivered themselves from the Midianites. He said, I want you to tell everybody, if you're fearful and afraid, I want you to go home. And that's what he did. He said, if you're afraid, go home. He lost 22,000 men from that statement alone. Left him with 10,000. Now, remember what I said before, we have a host, innumerable host of Midianites, and God just took 20,000 men, or 22,000 men from him. Okay, I'm sure he's thinking, well, we can still get this done. Maybe, we, you know, we've got God on our side. We, we don't need but, but a good, you know, 10,000 men left. And God said, I got news for you, Gideon. That's still too many. He said, I want you to lead them down to the water. And he says, I'm going to show you a sign. He says, the ones that drink normal, that take their hands and they drink it like a cup. He said, we don't want those guys. He says, we want the guys that bow down on their knees and put their face in the water and lap like a dog. He said, those are the guys that I'm going to use to save Israel. And so they did that, and they took them down to the water. And 300 men bowed down to the earth and drank water like a dog. And God said, those are the guys that I want to go with you. And those are the guys that are going to deliver Israel. Imagine the... Maybe the fear, the, the wonder what's going to go on. We've got an innumerable, innumerable host of Midianites over here on the side, and God's given me 300 men. How's that going to work? Well, obviously we know Gideon was a man of faith, and we, knew that, and we know that he trusted in God. And as the story goes on, those 300 men were given 300 horns to blow or trumpets to blow, and they were also given 300 pitchers with a candle inside of them. And he divided them into, a, into three different companies, a hundred in, in, in each one. And they go to the Midianites camp in the middle of the night while it's good and dark. And he tells them, when you hear the sound or the sign from me, Gideon says, I want you to blow the horns and I want you to break those pots and let, the, let that light shine round about. And so they did, and they're standing there. And you can imagine, now put yourself in the, in the mind of the Midianites. You know, they've been, they've been putting the whoop on Israel. They've been hurting them. But you know what? It's still in the back of their mind, I'm sure, what happens if God does come back and be with them? They've heard the stories. They know what he did to Jericho. They know what he did when they came out of the Red Sea and what they did to Israel. So they're encamped there. And I'm sure this is in the back of their mind, but they're sitting there in the middle of the dark. Now put yourself there, and all of a sudden, you hear all these horns in the distance blowing in the middle of the night. And then all of a sudden, there's just light as far as you can see around you. You're surrounded. The Bible says that they began to draw their swords, and they fell on each other, and they were afraid. And all during this time, the children of Israel are yelling, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And those 300 men came in and they laid waste to the enemies of God. Said they pursued them so far even into the next day and they slew their kings. And they freed Israel from their oppressors. 300 men. It's a very interesting story. And we know that that obviously, that was the power of God. And that God was working through those 300 men in Gideon to deliver his people and to help them out. So with that story in mind this morning, I wanted to look at that and see how does that apply to us. And the name of my, the lesson of of my title this morning, the title of my lesson this morning is Choose Your Army. And that's an idea I got from my wife because we were having a a study, and and me and a, a the other guy were talking, we were talking about the things that we need to do and how we need to be better Christians and how we need to build our relationships and everything. And she just said, Yeah, you need to choose your army. And I thought, man, there's a good lesson in there. I guess we'll be the judge of that by the end of this. I hope so. But I've I've enjoyed it and I, and I and it really resonated with me choosing your army. And I want us to think about this morning, that this morning. You know, we as Christians don't need to have the idea that we are walking in this fight alone. We are not in this alone. That is the greatest tool that the devil can use in our lives to tell you in any shape, form, or fashion when it comes to whether it's dealing with sin, whether it's dealing with problems, whether it's dealing with, with just growing as a Christian, to think that you can do it on your own, it's a very flawed idea. Now, yes, we are responsible for our own, our, our own growth and all that, and I'm not trying to take that away, but it is a tool that God has given us for us to rely on our brothers and sisters and to build our own army from the people sitting in this congregation today. You know, as I, as I talked about this, or as I thought about this, the first thing is we need to let God choose the army that we are going to use. And, you know, as I thought about that point, what kept coming to my mind was Acts chapter 3 and verse 6. And it's kind of a strange one, but it, it was there, and so I decided to use it. But it's Acts chapter 6 and verse 3. It's talking about sometimes what what's referred to as the first deacons or the however you want to look at it. But uh, it, Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, we read, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye have whom we may appoint over this business. And I know that seems kind of strange because it's talking about what we usually refer to as deacons. And what they're talking about there, the widows were being neglected in the daily ministration of the church and they were hungry and they were not receiving what they needed from the church. And my point with that verse and the way that I look at it is, what did the disciples and the apostles tell them to do when they had a problem? See, this problem had come up in the church. What did they say? Did they say, well, we need to go consult outside of the church. We need to go find some books written somewhere else. Do we need to go get opinions from America? They said, no, choose out among you seven men of good report. And he said, choose from among you. And that's what I really wanted to look at. Or really, What was really standing out to me in that verse was, we need to choose out from among this group, men and women, that God has chosen to help others and to help us. And we need to think about that. And we need to look to the church first. And that's not always, sometimes, unfortunately, our our idea. We look, instead of looking sometimes to the Bible, instead of looking to our elders, instead of looking to to our peers in the church, we look outside. And that's not the place to be looking, brothers and sisters. We've got to be looking here. We've got to be building our family here and building our army in this place. Acts chapter 12 and verse 11. Nope. Wrong title. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 8. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. Sorry my pages are stuck to, stuck together. Maybe it's Second Corinthians. But anyway, we'll go on from there. I'm sorry. It messed it up on me. But here, we're, uh, Paul had been in prison. Or Peter, excuse me, had been in prison. And he was, he was led out by an angel. And he goes to the house where it says the disciples were gathered together and they were praying for Peter. And he goes to the door and a little maid comes in, named Rhoda and she, answer, she hears Peter knock and she says, obviously, who is it? And he says, it's Peter. And she hears his voice and she runs back in, not even opening the door, leaves him standing outside and goes back in and tells everybody what's going on. Because they're indoor, inside praying for Peter. You know, when we think about choosing our army, we need people that are willing to pray with us and they're willing to pray for us. That are willing to, willing to keep us in their minds, and us to keep them, and vice versa. You know, that's something that's very important. You know, that's something that, that really came to me while I was reading that verse. When was the last time we all got together and for, this, for the direct purpose of praying for brother or sister or something that the church was to do? That's what the early disciples were doing right there. They were gathered together with the main purpose of praying for Peter. When have we done that? And I'm not saying that we have to do that, but I'm going to tell you, if that ever goes on, I would love to be invited to that. To set in brothers and sisters in continual prayer for someone or something that is going on in the church, whatever that may be. But that's the kind of people that we need to choose. That's the kind of people that we need in our lives. That's the kind of people we need in our army. We also need the kind of people that are willing to make the statement that's made in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Joshua says, Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the kind of soldiers we need because those kind of people have chosen God first, and God has chosen them. And they will be very effective for us. The next point I would like to pull out of that story says, is, is, is that we need to choose people who will bow before God. We talked a little bit about that before in the topics before, but we need people that are prayerful. You know, that seems to be a very problem in my life. You know, my prayer life seems to be seems to get neglected a lot. You know, I get busy, I get tired at night, I don't set aside the time other than just, you know, for meal prayers or whatever, but to really be dedicated, and that's something that I struggle with in my life is making my prayer life what it should be and neglecting it sometime. But you know, we need to be a prayerful people. We need to be those guys and, and ladies that bow down on their hands and knees and lap water like a dog, that we are bowing at the feet of Jesus. And we are praying to God. James chapter 5 and verse 16. James chapter 5 and verse 16 tells us. It says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, right there... In black and white, written down for us to see, it says, confess our faults one to another. And I agree with that. And I think we should do that. But also, there's other things other than just confessing our faults that we need to be taken advantage of. We have a gift given to us by God, and that's this family right here. It's everyone sitting on the pews beside you, in front of you, and behind you. That you have the opportunity and the blessing to have support, to have love, and to have care in any kind of trouble that comes our way. It also tells us that, you know, when we do that, when we build those kind of bonds and we build that kind of relationship and we have righteous people praying for us, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He's saying that God hears the prayers of righteous people when they're praying for us. And when we're praying for others. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. You know, Paul right there is telling them, he says, I want you to remember each other in prayer. But he also says, I want you to remember me. And I think that's something, again, I'll say it, we have to and need to use the gift that God has given us of our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us in our daily fight, in our daily walk. And I'm not trying to step out and say that personal prayer is not part of our lives because it needs to be. And I don't want to make that distinction that I'm just saying we need to just pray in groups and only that. But the fact is, it's very effective God has given us a wonderful tool. And if you haven't experienced it, I would tell you find a group of people that you can be accountable to, that you can say, Hey, having a rough day. I need some prayers. Can you think about me? Can you pray about me? It will do wonders in your life. And it, forget about the pride, forget about all the things that come with our human pride and dignity. Put that aside. Surrender yourself to God and his will and surrender yourself to your brothers and sisters because they love us and they want to help us. And those are the kind of people we need, people that are going to bow down and fight for us and pray in boldness for each other. The next thing that we're going to have to do as we're choosing our army is we're going to have to prepare for battles. And brothers and sisters, you know, you don't need to have me stand up here and tell you what's going on in the world today and what we're facing and what's, going, what's happening around us. It seems like sometimes everything's crumbling around us. It's kind of one of those deals you beg for so long for life without God, now you're seeing it. You know, we as Christians need to prepare for everything that's coming our way, whether it be mental, physical, spiritual, whatever that is, we've got to prepare for those battles. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 12 through 17, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." It's a very familiar passage. We use it a lot in lessons, and and a lot of times lessons themselves are built around that. But, you know, we have to prepare. We talk a lot about preparing our children. We talk about giving them the armor of God and sending them out in the world and making sure they're strong, and I agree with that 100%. We never want to enter a battle unprotected without our armor. So we break that down a little bit. The very first thing he says, he says, have your loins girt about with truth. That is what what you think of in the loins is kind of mid-thigh up to the stomach area. And you know, I think about that. We need to be fed with the Word of God. We need to have truth in our lives, and we need to feast upon that, and we need to have that inside the truth of God, true righteousness, knowing what's right, having the right ideas and the right thoughts according to God. And we need to gird our loins with that. That's the very first thing we need to do. We need to have truth. The second of all, we need to have the breastplate of righteousness. And that's kind of in this area right here where you'd have armor, kind of right above the stomach and up to the throat. That's where the heart is. That's the thing that you want to protect. We have to have that breastplate of righteousness to protect our heart from the evils that Satan has to throw at us. We have to be prepared for that. We have to prepare our hearts. You know, the Bible talks a lot about our hearts, and we talk a lot about having strongholds in our hearts and not letting the devil get a stronghold in our heart or sin taking root. That's where that breastplate of righteousness comes in. We look in His Word and we take that and we cover our hearts and prepare it for battle, that it would be safe from all the things that we would encounter. Number three, have our feet shod to obey the gospel, or with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know what? It's telling us, stand upon the gospel. Stand on the gospel for everything that we do, to prepare us for what's coming. Stand on the gospel, the truth of God, the good news. Brothers and sisters, we have a battle coming, but there are so many people that they're third and fourth, fifth generations. They've never been inside a church building. Their feet have never been, never been shod with the preparation of the gospel. That's one of the battles we've got to fight, and that's not a bad battle. That's a good battle, but we need to be taking that to people who don't know. And we think that just everybody should know the word of God, and that's not the way it is. We have lots of people hurting that need God's word. They need us to armor up and take the gospel to them. To show them what Christ did for us, what He's wi- willing to do for them. That He gave Himself on the cross then He died for you and I. We have to stand upon that gospel and it has to be the very foundation that we stand upon. We need to take the shield of faith. You know, the shield is a very important, was a very important weapon in the days in which the Bible was written, because it saved you from sword blows coming in from the other side, it saved you from arrows raining down, and it protected you in a fight. That's exactly what we have to prepare for with our faith. We have to have a faith strong enough to shield us when the arrows of Satan are coming in. When the battle is intense and it's coming from all sides, we have to have that faith that we stand behind and that protects us and that shields us. And also the helmet of salvation. You know, you think about where a helmet goes, that's your mind, right? It's over your brain, over your head. That's As you think about that, we have to have our minds right if we're going to fight and we're going to win. Our mind has to be focused around what God has to say. It has to be focused around His Word. It has to be focused around our brothers and sisters that are fighting alongside us. That's our greatest strength is our family bond that we have in this building today as far as physically and worldly. It's the greatest asset we have. We have to stick together. We have to fight together. The helmet of salvation, we need to protect our mind. The sword of the Spirit or the Word of God. It's a defensive weapon, but it's also an offensive weapon. And not in the way to be yielded in anger and hate, but in love and caring. But if we want to fight those battles and we want to survive and we want to come out victorious, we have to have this book with us in our hearts, in our minds. It needs to feed us and to help us grow in everything that we do. But as I said before, not only us do we need this, but the men and the women that we choose to be with us, and to help us in that walk, they have to be ready and prepared for battle too. Because I want you to think about this. I don't know if you're very familiar with old battle tactics or old formation, but there was a formation that the Spartans used. The Vikings called it the shield wall. The Spartans called it the phalanx. The Greeks called it the phalanx also, but it was a big, you had a big sword, I mean a big shield, and it was almost as tall as you were, And you carried that on your right side, and you had a spear in your left side, and you would plant that shield in the ground here. And then the man to your right would put his shield over, so it would cover half of you and half of the guy beside you, and his shield would cover you, and there was a cut out there, and you would take and you would stab the enemy, and you were protected behind that wall. It's called the phalanx. But also what was the neat thing about that is if as when someone fell, someone from the back would step up to cover that soldier and he could be taken away and the battle could continue. And that, brothers and sisters, is the whole point of us choosing our army and our battle in this world. See, we need people standing beside us shoulder to shoulder Willing to fight shoulder to shoulder with us. But when we are weak, sometimes when we fall, we need that other person to step up and help carry us. Help us get healed up. Take us to the back and nurse us back to hell so that we can step back up and fight on that line. That's the kind of people that we need in our life. That's the kind of Christians that we need to hang on to. That's the kind of Christians... That we need to be, that we will help others, that we will fight side by side, and we will do our best to help one another and to help God's message be sent and be spread wherever it may be going. The last thing I want to look at this morning is we need to fight a good fight. Not just any fight, but the good fight. First Peter 5, verses 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, as your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Brothers and sisters, he's everywhere. He's a roaring lion walking about just seeing who he can take down. It's a very vivid picture in my mind. I love nature documentaries. I love to watch lions, I, all of that. That's a big cat, and they can destroy their prey, and they tear it apart, and it's gruesome, and it's gross, it's violent. That's no different than what the devil will do to us. If we allow ourselves to be unarmored and to be taken by that line, he will tear our lives apart, and he'll leave us bloodied and broken. And if we don't get some help from somebody, we're going to be spiritually dead if he continues to have at us. So we have to be sober and vigilant. We have to have our army chosen and our army at our back and fighting together. I'll say it again. We have to take the precious gift that God gave us of family and Christians and stand together. We have to, if we're not doing that, we're missing out. We're missing out on a big blessing in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 6, we've read it twice, and I'm just going to say it again. It says we fight against darkness and wickedness. Our battle's not phys- Not always physical. Sometimes it is. But our battle's not physical. It's against the powers and the thoughts of this world, the evils of this world, You know, that's something that we have to, as the church, be very leery of. It's very easy for the world's thoughts and think-sos to creep into our think-sos. And all of a sudden, we are affected by the world's attitudes. The biggest thing that I would say that's affecting us now is this attitude of, if you don't agree with me, I have to hate you. The lack of peace that people have in the world. That's things that easily can creep into our lives. I've seen it creep into mine. Don't let the, the things of the world creep in. Keep that armor up. Keep your army together and fight on because we're just here for a little while. But we keep fighting and we fight that good fight, we're going to have a rest in heaven. And then we can relax. We don't have to fight anymore. That's all I have to say this morning? Like I said, I hope the things that I've had to say have been edifying to you. We hadn't talked on the first principles this morning, but if there's somebody here who has not obeyed the gospel and you would like to study, I know the elders of the church would be glad to do that. Anybody here, I'm sure, would be willing to do that. But if you have been taught and your conscience is, is pricking you this morning, don't wait. I'm not promised that I'm going to step off this stage and get to those doors before I drop dead. You aren't either. Don't put it off. We got time. Roast ain't going to burn. We're all going to be okay. There's water in the back. We're ready. Don't wait. If somebody here feels that they have strayed from God and they'd like the prayers of the church, or you just feel that life has been rough and you just need some help, we'd love to pray with you and pray for you. If there's one of either class, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.